Black women and girls and mental health. Don't put that S on my chest. I'm not your superwoman. I do not have superpowers, nor do I want them. I'm not resilient. What's the definition of resilient? A person able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions of a substance or object, able to recoil or spring back into shape after bending, stretching, or being compressed. I rarely hear people talk about the resilience of white women or Asian women or Hispanic women, just how Black women are so resilient, how Black girls are so resilient. Resilience, to me, is not a badge of honor. It is maladaptive. I have a love-hate relationship with that word and with the concept of resilience. Hey, my beautiful sisters, I hope you're all well. I'm Laurieann, and you are listening to My Sister's Keeper, a podcast that unapologetically centers Black women and girls in a world where we are often not valued, loved, protected, or respected. Today's episode is about mental health and Black women and girls. The reason I want to cover this topic on my podcast is because historically, Black folks did not talk about mental health. Folks was just trying to live. Folks was just trying to survive. And at many points in the history of this country, we were barely seen as human beings, just workhorses. Who was checking for our mental health? Not a damn soul. And I will address the issue of lack of access to mental health services. Growing up, we might have heard about Aunt Julia. She had a nervous breakdown and they put her in the nut house. Mental illness and mental health are not topics that I think can be explored adequately in one or two podcast episodes, but I'm going to try. And because I've had my struggles with mental health and because I have friends and family who had or are currently having mental health challenges, I wanted to broach the subject. Stigma has been identified as the most significant barrier to seeking mental health services among African-American women. When Chesley Corinne Christ, an attorney, television correspondent, model, and beauty pageant title holder, she was Miss USA 2019, when she died by suicide on January 30th, 2022, some of the commentary was, why was she depressed? She had it all. Beauty, brains, a career. How could she die by suicide? Mental illness does not have a look. Someone can look happy and be accomplished and still be clinically depressed. Jennifer Lewis, actress extraordinaire, has been very public about her struggles with bipolar depression. She wrote about it in her memoir, Jennifer Lewis, The Mother of Black Hollywood. I read that book and I highly 
recommend it. When celebrities open up about their mental health, it can help lessen the stigma, get people talking, and inspire people to seek treatment. For far too long, some of us Black folks did not want to talk about mental illness, and we damn sure better not say that we was in therapy. Some of us also know about the don't be airing our family's dirty laundry or don't open up that closet, lest all those skeletons will come tumbling out. That strong Black woman trope, that trope is put on Black women by other people. And it is used to justify the mistreatment of Black women. So in the face of someone emotionally abusing us, for example, and she stays for whatever reason, people will say, oh, because, you know, because she's a strong woman. She ride or die. People can also use that strong Black woman trope to gaslight us. When we don't buy into that trope, if we don't live up to that trope, if we are calling it out and people say, oh, no, come on, that's not what you see. I, I don't know about you, but I get tired of people telling me what I see and I get tired of people trying to tell me what my reality is as if I don't know what my reality is and as if I can't speak on it. And I don't need anybody to validate what I think, what I feel, any of it. Erlise Ward and Susan Heydrich, they wrote an article. It was titled, African-American Women's Belief About Mental Illness, Stigma, and Preferred Coping Behaviors. And they said, stigma has been identified as the most significant barrier to seeking mental health services among African-Americans. We don't air our dirty laundry, right? Back to the skeletons in the closet. Myth effect. People with weak minds suffer from depression. That would be a myth. There's also the mistrust of the U.S. healthcare system, and rightfully so. Medical apartheid, the dark history of medical experimentation on Black Americans from colonial times to the present by Harriet A. Washington, is a very hard read but I recommend that book as well. It is a hard read, but it is a must read. And while she focuses on the physical mistreatment of Black folks, it also sheds light on why Black people are often very leery of the medical profession and of the mental health profession. That strong Black woman trope, living with psychological pain, normalizing suffering in silence. And if you dare say anything, you are considered weak. There was another paper that was written, Depression, and it was put out by NYU. Depression may look different in Black women. And this is where cult the cultural competence of mental health providers comes in, right? Just like back in the day when heart attacks 
were um, being researched. And you would have, and first of all, a lot of the research years and years and years ago was done on men and it was done on white men. They found that you just couldn't use a cookie cutter approach to diagnosing, right, whether or not someone had a heart attack. Because in women, the symptoms would sometimes present very differently. So in terms of depression, mental health providers and medical providers must, must educate themselves so that they will understand that Black women with symptoms of depression more often report sleep disturbances, self-criticism, and irritability more than the stereotypical symptoms such as depressed mood. So healthcare providers and mental health providers may miss depression symptoms, resulting in underdiagnosis and the undertreatment of Black women. The research also indicates that many Black women highly endorse the strong Black woman trope. S-B-W. Why? Unfortunately, some of us have bought into the need to always show strength and never, ever showing vulnerability, let alone embracing our vulnerability, which can lead us to not seek out help even when it is needed. Some of this bullshit bill of goods we have been sold as black women. We are supposed to be naturally strong, resilient, self-contained, self-sacrificing. And if we are not those things, people want to label us as not being a real black woman. Or you're not a boss. That's very, very damaging. So in other words... We're supposed to take everybody's bullshit, sacrifice ourselves, be martyrs, and not complain. I don't think so. The false narrative that we do not need emotional or financial support to succeed, and we can work tirelessly and without complaint and endlessly, and don't complain. I'm going to tell you one more time. Don't complain because all hell may break loose. We're supposed to put everyone else's oxygen mask on first and then put ours on. But by that time, we may have, may have run out of oxygen or we get the leftovers or the scraps. Whiteness as a foundation to mental health care. Most of the psychological training that therapists receive is based on the experiences of white people and their norms, values, and beliefs. The Black feminist perspective attempts to incorporate the Black woman's unique experiences while recognizing the impacts of class, age, sexual orientation as areas that shape the Black woman's experience. The strong Black woman archetype, SBWA. According to the Health and Human Services Office of Minority Health, Black people are more likely than whites to report persistent symptoms 
of emotional distress. One in three Black adults with mental illness receive treatment. Blacks are more likely to receive a misdiagnosis of schizophrenia when experiencing symptoms related to mood disorders. Dr. William Smith, he's a social psychologist, he coined the term racial battle fatigue, or RBF, in 2003. He describes it as the cumulative result of natural race-related stress responses to distressing mental and emotional conditions. These conditions emerge from constantly facing racially dismissive, demeaning, insensitive, and or hostile racial environments and individuals. When Black people are murdered, gunned down in the street by the very people who are supposed to protect and serve, we have Eric Gardner, George Floyd, Sandra Bland, Breonna Taylor. If you are are of a certain age, you will remember Sean Bell, Amadou Diallo, Eleanor Bumpers. Non-blacks can look at those murders and they may say, oh, that's really sad. We need to do something to address it. But then most often can go back to their lives because it's not an issue for them, even if you're an ally. And allies are definitely always welcome. However, when we are on the outside of an issue looking in, while we may care and we may definitely want to be a part of the solution, we can still often go back to our lives while the people who we are allied with, that is their life. So when those things happen, Black women look at that and say, that could be me. That could be my family member. That could be my son. That could be my daughter, my husband. We just can't see a headline and just look at it and go, okay, and then go back to business as usual. We're often left very afraid and terrified. And then on top of that, we have to explain that, those things to our children to try to help allay their fears that they have. One of the calls to to action that I have is that let's normalize discussing mental illness. And in all fairness, I do think that some progress has been made. And I do think that self-care, the notion of self-care has led many women, including Black women, to come forward and if they need mental health services, they are stepping out of the shadows and they are seeking that help. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. People should not be shamed. Women and girls should not be shamed when they are experiencing mental illness or when they're having mental health challenges. There's a couple of resources that I want to mention real quickly. And I'm also going to put them in the show notes. Therapy for Black Girls. It's an online space 
dedicated to encouraging the mental wellness of black women and girls. They say, join the movement to destigmatize mental health. And they also have a podcast, which I highly recommend. Right. Then we have Black Girls Can Heal, transforming the way we heal individually and as a collective. And on their website, they say, don't forget to make space for yourself. That's all I got. Love you all. And before I actually end the episode, I just want to share a little bit of my own personal journeys with my own mental health. I struggle with depression and anxiety. There are going to be some people who listen to this podcast who know me and some of whom know me very well, uh, but they don't know that that has been something that I have struggled with. I have sought out services. I've gone to therapy. Um, I've had many therapists. I've gone to group counseling. I have done body work around, um, you know, stored trauma in the form of yoga. I've done Reiki. I've also done or read lots of self-help books. And I've taken medication. I've been off medication. Um, I know that medication is very controversial. I think that there is a place for medication in terms of treatment. It's a very personal thing. And if someone shared with me that they were taking medication, I certainly wouldn't make them feel worse about themselves for taking medication. That's an individual choice. And medication can make people feel better. I do believe that medication should be used in conjunction with other treatment modalities for sure. But I would never shame someone for taking medication. At my big age, right, um, while the depression and anxiety is, it simmers right below the surface, I have lots and lots of tools in my toolkit to help me cope. And reaching out for help and talking to people and not keeping things bottled inside has been very, very helpful. And I want to encourage folks to, if you are suffering, please, please, please reach out, reach out. There's so many resources that are out there. If you know someone who you suspect is struggling, please reach out to them. Just reach out. What's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that could happen is the person could say, no, no, I'm good. And maybe they are good. If I suspected that one of my friends was going through something and I asked them and they kind of brushed me off and they were like, oh, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. I would probably not leave it alone because that's just how I am. Um, but 
the person may be perfectly fine. It could have been a one-off, right? Or it could have been maybe a situational thing. But I think we owe it to one another to reach out and to be there for people when they need us. And sometimes they don't even know that they need us. So now that's all I got. I love you all. And we are our sister's keep.